Hey, Top News listeners, this is Luke Garrett. And Megan Cloherty. We're the hosts of WTOP's daily local news podcast, the DMV Download. Don't worry, top news from WTOP isn't going away, but we wanted to drop in and give you a taste of what we're producing, a podcast that goes deeper into the biggest stories of the day. If you like what you hear, head over to the DMV Download podcast and subscribe. It's Wednesday, December 7th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download podcast brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. It's the end of an era, one many would likely prefer to forget, but with the closing of the pandemic also comes the departure of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Fauci is stepping away from NIH and the public arena after three intense years serving as the nation's doctor. Dr. Fauci joins us to reflect on his time in the limelight and what's ahead. I mean, I've been driving onto this campus, this beautiful campus in Bethesda, Maryland, every day for the last 54 years. And it's the holiday season, and that means there's no shortage of concerts and plays. We talked to WTOP's entertainment editor, Jason Fraley, about his top picks for what to see at the theater, in concert, or in your living room. What's really cool this year is that this is like the first time they're fully back since all the pandemic stuff. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. As Dr. Anthony Fauci steps away as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, he's closing a nearly 40-year chapter that began back in 1984 when he oversaw the nation's fight against HIV-AIDS. Of course, his career continued, and so did the public health concerns from Ebola to the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2020, Dr. Fauci was launched into the public arena, acting as the nation's chief medical expert. And as the country's response to COVID-19 became increasingly political, Fauci became a public hero to some and a villain to others. Dr. Anthony Fauci joins us now to talk about all of this. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Good to be with you. When you first announced your departure from NIH back in August, you said by the time you leave right around now, COVID-19 will be under control. Tell us about what you think, you know, where are we now as far as immunity? And, you know, do you feel like you're in a good place stepping away from from the health of this country right now? Well, we're not exactly where I would like to be, but we are certainly much, much better off than we were a year ago at this time when we were first confronted with the Omicron variant. You know, at that time, as you recall, we were having 800,000 to 900,000 cases a day and between three and 4,000 deaths per day. Right now, we're having about 300 or so deaths per day, even though that's dramatically better than what it was a year or so ago. It still is not at the point where I'm entirely comfortable with it. I believe we need to get down to a much, much lower level if we are going to be able to truly feel that we are living with the virus. We're not going to eradicate it. We're not Mm. going to completely eliminate it. So we're going to have to, to a certain degree, live with the virus. Right. So how do we best live with this virus if we can't eradicate it? We can do it in a much more acceptable and healthy way if we get more people vaccinated. So one of the frustrating elements of all of this is that a rich, as a rich, developed country that has all of the access that we need to interventions like therapies and vaccines, we still only have about 68% of our population vaccinated. And thus wow. far, we don't have a very good uptake of the new updated bivalent 
booster, the BA4-5, mm. as a general population, we have less than 20% of the people have received that. Right. That is really very, very bad. I mean, thank goodness a higher percentage of the elderly have gotten it. Yeah, we're better off than we were, but we we, we should not claim victory yet. Mm. Doesn't mean we have to disrupt society. That doesn't mean we're locking anything down. Right. We're not doing that. But we really got to be careful because we're entering into the cooler and colder months of the late fall and the early winter. We're entering into the holiday season. And if we are going to get influenza, which is peaking at a very high level now, we have respiratory syncytial virus, particularly problematic for young children and the elderly. So we have a lot of things going on that we have to pay attention to and we have to utilize the countermeasures like vaccines for influenza Mm -hmm. and vaccines and therapies for COVID. Mm. So the answer to your question is we can do better. Mm. (laughs) And you're offering a medical strategy to beat back these viruses, but there's also kind of a political illness, if you will. A lot of division has happened around this COVID-19 pandemic. As you look back over the past three years, what do you think we could have done differently to maybe fight back that political division that kind of seeded in this COVID-19 pandemic? Well, you know, you're asking an unanswerable question. What what could we have done there? You have divisiveness in our country Mm. that has been fueled by so many things that are going on. And you're right. Political divisiveness has been one of the enemies of good public health practices. We should be all focusing on the common enemy. And the common enemy is the virus, not each other. Yet, if you look at what's going on in society, it appears that we're fighting with each other, people with differences ideologically. Ideological differences in politics are healthy. It makes for a diverse approach towards different issues. If done in a way that's cooperative, collaborative, and compromising, that doesn't seem to be the situation we're in right now. So we have a lot of polar extremes of people who know, or at least we hope they know, that a vaccine is safe and highly effective in saving lives. And yet there are people who refuse to get vaccinated purely on ideologic grounds. It doesn't make any sense that red states are much more under-vaccinated than blue states. There should never be that difference Mm. because everybody is susceptible to this illness and you shouldn't have people because of one persuasion feel they don't want to make use of a highly effective intervention. Right. We're all we're all susceptible regardless of our political party. It's interesting because we you know, you asked a question, Luke, about uh, politics. And I wonder how you feel about public health in general, even being subject to politics and people's maybe losing trust rightly or wrongly in um, government health agencies. What do you have to say about that? Because that's clearly in a different place than it was. And then in 2019, before this started. Well, that's extremely unfortunate, but it is a consequence of the divisiveness that we have right now. I mean, it is unconscionable that public health officials, including and particularly me, but not only me, but public health officials out in the trenches, because they're trying to get people to understand and implement good public health practices, are being threatened and harassed. Yeah. That that doesn't make any explainable sense. Why would you want to harass people who are doing everything they can 
to safeguard you and save your life. Mm. But that's what's going on. I mean, it really is a very disturbing reflection of the divisiveness that we have in our country. Is it frustrating to you on a personal level, just because you got into this, obviously, to help out and and to be really the voice of public health throughout this pandemic? Then you see that happening to your colleagues, you yourself. I mean, the Republicans are talking about investigating you. How does it feel to, to be in that position? Well, it's not pleasant, but I don't let it deter me from doing my job. And that's one of the things you've got to compartmentalize and focus like a laser beam on putting your best effort into what your job is. And my job as a scientist, a physician, and a public health official is to do whatever I can to preserve and protect the health of the American public and indirectly for the rest of the world because we're such a leader in public health. That other stuff is unfortunate noise that I try not to pay attention to. Mm. And do you have anything to say to those, for lack of a better word, like haters out there? Do you have anything to say to them? Haters. No. <laughs> okay. That's a short answer. No. <laughs> well, can I ask you this too? I mean, I imagine it's 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 frustrating is is the word you just used. I I would be a little more than frustrated if I was in that position. Um do you, did it contribute to you deciding to to step back? I know you're in a different place with this administration than last, but I imagine it wears on you. No, it really had no influence whatsoever in my decision of the time I was going to. You have to step down sometime. I'm going to be 82 years old in three weeks. So Congratulations. Happy birthday. (laughs) As they say, give me a break here. (laughs) So, um, no, it had really nothing at all to, to my decision. My decision was based on the fact that I knew that I have a few years left, I believe, of being energetic, I hope healthy, and passionate about what I'm doing. And I want to be able to do some things outside of the confines of the federal government. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be a reasonable time to step down. We're in a better place than we were a year ago. We're going in the right direction. That's the reason I stepped down. It really had nothing to do with all that other stuff that you're talking about. Mm. And, you know, I know you're speaking to us from your office, and I know you've been in that office for quite some time. <laughs> Are you going to miss it? Is there a part of you that kind of wants to stay? Of course. I mean, I've been driving onto this campus, this beautiful campus in Bethesda, Maryland, for uh, every day, almost every Saturday and many Sundays for the last 54 years. Wow. Of course, it's going to seem strange to all of a sudden not do that anymore. Mm. But life goes on. I wanted to ask you, um, I, I'm, I'm assuming when you're around town and going on your rocks in Rock Creek and what have you, um, you get approached by people who recognize you. Do you hear at all about um, just how, how this pandemic has affected kids? I know now we, you know, we have the numbers that show all the learning loss. We're seeing the, the psychological effects on them from depression, anxiety collectively to maybe even a change in some young people's brains. Do you think that, um, you know, those I, I guess I'm wondering if you, you get those questions. Were the lockdowns the right thing? Were, were, you know, was homeschooling the right thing for my kid, given what we know now, do you think? I think what we know now, having done that at the time we did it, was the right thing to do because the kid that's walking around uh, is alive uh, as opposed to ill and perhaps dead. So um, there are always collateral negative impacts when you do something as difficult as uh, shutting down temporarily. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I have always been of the mindset, and I've been very vocal about it. You can go back and check all of my interviews to say that we've got to do whatever we can to keep the children in school, but keep them safe in school by vaccinating the people who are around them, by giving good ventilation, mm-hmm. by when vaccines become available for children to vaccinate them. So I understand that there can be negative consequences when children don't go to school. And that's the reason why I have been an advocate of getting the children back to school as quickly as we possibly can. Mm. I wonder if you think that this has sort of created more uh, focus on mental health. Obviously, a lot more kids are in a position where they're dealing with it at a younger age than maybe they would have or families are dealing with it in a different way than they would have. But do you think that the pandemic has sort of led to a focus on mental health or an awareness of mental health that now this country will confront because of the pandemic and the lessons learned? I hope so. It's a complicated issue because there's always been a, a mental health problem that antedated COVID Yeah, that perhaps we didn't pay as much attention to. It's been greatly exacerbated by the experiences that we've had with COVID. So hopefully a silver lining in all the difficulties that we've been through is that we do pay more attention to and put a lot more resources into addressing the issue of mental health, which is very important, as important as any other illness that's a physical illness. Mental health is an illness, and we have to pay attention to it as such. And it has been very dramatically exacerbated by the experiences that we've been through with COVID. Mm. Now, most of our listeners are local listeners, is the DMV download. WTOP, obviously, is the radio station of the greater Washington area. How has your interaction been with local residents? And for those who have supported you, what do you have to say here in the D.C. area? Uh, I say thank you very much for your support. (laughs) And I am very much supported by people in our area. And it's very gratifying when people are very explicit about thanking me and my colleagues for what we're doing. So it's a thank you back to them. I'm very appreciative of the support. Everyone's very curious to hear what you're going to do next. I know you've been saying you you want to continue to be active and uh, use all this, you know, experience that you have to make more of a difference in health. Um, any hints for us? Any idea of where you're going next? You know, I'm I'm not being coy with people. I don't know. You know, uh-huh. one, of the, one, of the important, <laughs> one of the important elements of of the ethics rules in government is that you really can't be negotiating your outside activity while you're still working in the federal government because of the potential of a conflict of interest. I see. So despite the fact that there are, I'm sure, many, many opportunities, I just don't pay attention to them until I actually step down. Mm. Get me back on the show at the end of January, the beginning (laughs) of February. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Oh, yeah, we'd love that. And although you're leaving the government, you know, we mentioned that Republicans who now control the House are seeking to investigate you and your, your dealings of the past two years. There is likely to be continued criticism of you nationally. Do you, will you still have a security team around you to like protect you from threats? I hope so. I think I will. I hope so. It looks like I will. Yeah. And do you My, know when your actual like last day will be? December 31st. Okay. Um, and then my my last question is about um, who comes next. What is the advice to your successor? Obviously, we know um, with the administration that's already been decided. But what have you learned from this that you you think that you know another health advisor would be able to uh, use to their benefit? 
Well, you know, it's what we all should do in this position is stick with the science, stick with the data, stick with the evidence, stay out of politics completely. Uh, I've done this for 54 years and still nobody has any idea what my political affiliation or ideology is because I have none. Mm. (laughs) So I'm a very apolitical person. And I think it's really important, given the political interference often with science now that we're facing, a person has to be a really good scientist has to understand the scientific community, but has to rely on science and stay out of all that other stuff that's distracting and it's non-productive. Dr. Anthony Fauci, thank you for coming on the show and talking to us about you know your reflections, your thoughts um, as you leave the NIH. Thank you, it's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Tired of your same go-to holiday entertainment? We've got some options for you coming up with WTOP Entertainment Editor, Jason Fraley. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602 changing lives. Explain your DNA on on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. It is the holiday season, as we all know, and that means this wonderful city we live in, there's even more stuff to do. There's more stuff to do, and this time around, you know, we don't have the pandemic clouding over it all, really. You know, things are opening up, and to tell us all about it is WTOP's entertainment editor, Jason Fraley, who knows it all. Jason, there's so much going on this holiday season. Let's start. What's happening in theaters? What do we got going on? There's so much, and we have the whole list on WTOP.com, but I'll just throw out one big theater thing that's going on. Uh, Ford's Theater's annual production of A Christmas Carol. Um, We interview Craig Wallace, who plays Scrooge every year for, like, I think six years now, something like that. Um, But not only is it the great Charles Dickens story, but um, what's really cool this year is that this is, like, the first time they're fully back since all the pandemic stuff started. The very first year in 2020, they went to a radio play reading, you know, like an audio version. Um, Last year, they were back on stage, but a very sort of like a bare bones skeleton sort of cast and crew, like a, a bunch of the children's choir and stuff that's usually on the stage wasn't there last year. So it was cool. They've been managed to get by. But this year is the full, full version of A Christmas Carol at Ford's Theater that, that everyone knows and loves with all the singing and all of the ghosts and everything. Um, and, and every year, you know, they they always ask the crowd to donate to a charity. And this year, I think there's even going to be like a QR code in the program you oh, can wow. scan. Um, and this year's charity is For the Love of Children. Um, I think it provides out-of-classroom resources for students second grade and above. Nice. Um, and which kind of, which it's fitting, right? It, a Christmas Carol was all about those Dickensian inequalities, social inequalities, right? right? Mm-hmm. It kind of fits. Yeah. And then we take it from the theater to concerts. There's a couple of people coming into town. What is at the top of your list, Jason? 
Well, there's some really, you know, there's bigger name concerts and then there's a ton of local orchestras and choirs and stuff. So I'm I'm choosing to highlight um a, one of the local ones. Um the National Philharmonic is going to be performing Handel's Messiah, which you know is hallelujah. Ha- I mean, everyone knows that every every holiday season. It's going to be at Strathmore and at Capital One Hall. But the reason I want to highlight it, uh just hopped off of the interview today. It's benefiting uh, a black church. It's called the Scotland African Methodist Episcopal AME Zion Church in Potomac, Maryland. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's not so it's right down the road from Strathmore. But the reason they're going to do it, and it's a huge backstory, they recently revealed that Handel, um, the the composer, did a lot. He, he raised a lot of the money for his productions um, from the slave trade. Uh, you know, as we're reexamining uh, history, history and everything. Yeah. And so National Philharmonic was like, well, how's the best way we could do we want to continue to perform you know it's a holiday classic songs and stuff but how can maybe if we put the money we don't donate half our proceeds to this black church uh um scotland what's it called ame zion church and uh they've been in montgomery county they're kind of in a low-lying area where where it floods a lot um there's some sort of you know racial commentary with that too of you know how it was designed poorly or whatever right, the but their basement's been flooding and all that stuff yeah so um yeah so so i think it's i think that's a creative way that we get to experience the holidays but also sort of grapple with maybe some of the uglier bits of history but right. find a way to still perform those holiday carols but you know maybe ha- benefit benefit some stuff definitely mm. and what about what we can find in our own living rooms you know tvs <laughs> and movies i'm sure we have so many options but what are you keeping your eye on this holiday season well, there's a ton of Christmas movies. We all have our favorite holiday movies. Um, but uh, I'm going to highlight, uh, there's a new one streaming on Apple TV Plus called Spirited with Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds. Oh, they're not funny um, at all. That's have you seen boring. it? No, I Has haven't. But I actually oh. want to. I saw the, the um, trailer. It looked hilarious. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I sort of have my ex- expectations low because it's almost like how many times can we redo the whole Ebenezer Scrooge thing? It's been done so many times. <laughs> um, but but this one actually thought it was really clever because it's, you know, remember, similar to how in uh, Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, you sort of saw the behind the scenes operation of the North Pole at work, you know? Yeah. Um, this is sort of, so th- ra- th- that's what it does here with the whole ghosts of, of Christmas past, present, and future. We sort of see Will Ferrell plays Christmas present and um, it and, and um, Tracy Morgan is, is Christmas future, you know, <laughs> but, you know, you only hear his voice spitting zingers and it's really funny, but um, it's sort of like how these ghosts are trying you know every year we get together whose soul are we saving this year from that perspective and of course ryan reynolds is the 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 quote unredeemable um who needs saving he's sort of like this big tech social media like an elon musk kind of a thing who yeah. he, has this, he has this hilarious number called i think it's called bringing back christmas which is sort of like a um it's like a commentary on cable news uh war on christmas fear-mongering it's like it's really like subversive in a way. yeah it's really <laughs> subversive of uh where he but he's sort of the bad guy remember so uh so it's will ferrell trying to you know redeem this soul and uh it's it's really funny the music is by pasik and paul who did la la land the greatest showman and dear evan hansen like you know they're nice. they're the songwriting duo for the broadway stuff that i would recommend spirited on apple tv plus i never know how jason like keeps it on top of like all the millions of things that are going on but especially during the holiday season because it just seems like every area has you know their own concerts and stuff so definitely look up wouldn't you say jason definitely look up like your community like what your community is doing and what's coming into yeah. your community because there's so many cool plays and stuff happening. right totally Every month of the year, but especially between, I'd say, Thanksgiving and, and New Year's. There's like, it's a million stuff going on all the time. <laughs> all right, Jason Fraley, entertainment editor. I mean, it's way too short. You're going to find his whole list on WTOP.com <laughs> um, with much, much, much more. But thank you for your time. We appreciate it.
Yes, happy holidays, everybody. Happy holidays. Well, I know I'll be going to at least one of those yeah? this, this holiday season. Which one stands out to you? I actually think the Will Ferrell movie. Jason gave a pretty convincing argument. <laughs> I was like rolling my eyes at the movie when we first talked about it. But then after his description, I was like, you know what? This is cool. All right. All right. I'm not sure. I have to look at his list and kind of determine because it's, it's it's such a busy season. Yeah. It's always so packed that you really do have to kind of be deliberate. Yeah. Like pick a couple things that you really want to see. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. We are brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. Good or bad, we'd love to know. You can also find us on social media where we're posting content every day and dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in D.C., 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a good night.